Hey, and welcome to episode 20 of The Thodcast. I'm Philip Elke, your host of The Thodcast, conversations about animation, and I'm joined by my brother. Hey, Dawson, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great and excited to talk about what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, it's uh, kind of an odd subject because this movie's been out for over a month. I mean, it came out February 14th and has hung around a little bit. Uh, definitely encourage any of our listeners to check it out while they have a chance. If not, pick it up on rental streaming, your uh, source of or choice. Or buy it. <laughs> yeah, pick it up on Blu-ray. Uh, that being Alita, Battle Angel. Of course, we uh, do cover a little bit of live action on this show, um, and this being a mostly animated film. I mean, it's it's very heavy. Half and half. It's a half animated, half live action, just like most of the characters in the film. Yes. Uh, characters who are partially human or, uh, depending on who you ask, totally human and uh, figuring out their place in this world of confusing cybernetic intermingling with the, the organic. And uh, so, yeah, let's just dive into Alita, Battle Angel, a movie that was sort of long in, uh, in the process of development by James Cameron, um, but ultimately the, the role of directing was given to Robert Rodriguez, a uh, visionary acclaimed, filmmaker. Acclaimed, critically acclaimed director of Spy Kids 3D. <laughs> he did uh, He did all three of those Spy Kids movies, didn't he? Oh, did he? Uh, Good. I think Spy yeah. Kids 3D is the most meme, memed one, but... Yeah, of course. It was. I think it was the most uh, commercially successful as well. He uh, was born in San Antonio, Texas, Robert Rodriguez, but a lot of his movies do have a uh, Latino flavor to them. Uh, he directed uh, Sin City... Uh, or Sin City and Sin City 2. Um, yeah, the spot. let's see. Machete, Machete Kills, Machete Kills in Space. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> let's see. I've never heard of that, but it sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's get a more comprehensive once, look once here. Once a time in Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Him? I don't know. I don't, that the Johnny Depp film. He's, he's done a lot of movies, but... Um, yeah, once a, once time in Mexico, and I haven't seen a ton of them. I mean, it, he did that the Grindhouse film with uh, Quentin Tarantino, the segment Planet Terror, as well as the f- fake trailer for Machete, which um, uh, obviously got spun off into its own film franchise. Yeah, yeah, uh, kind of a, a schlock jock, <laughs> if you uh, you know want to call it that. A schlock jock? That's a new one. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I just made it up um, on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> a jockey of schlocky. Yeah, I'm sure. I, gosh, I guess I haven't seen most of his films either. I mean, I, when I think of, I mean, you know, I've never mind. That, that was a train of thought. But this well, weird. you, um, you know, we're such big fans of Red Letter Media on this podcast and nary go an episode without giving him a shout out. And uh, you mentioned some of the earlier about when you first saw the trailer for Alita, which debuted around the same time as, you know, the trailer debuted around the same time as The Last Jedi. Yeah, well, over a year ago. This film uh, is probably one of the most highly unanticipated films of the years because, yeah, it was in December of 2017 that I first saw a trailer for this film at Star Wars The Last Jedi. And it was supposed to come out, it said July 2018, yes, 2018. And I was so excited. That trailer was so incredibly badass and just schlock city. Uh, It had everything I wanted, including, uh, well, yeah. Anyway, it was supposed to come out in July. It ended up coming out in February. It's Well, yeah, when you saw, when you first saw the titular character at this, at this trailer i thought it was glorious and i yeah i saw her face and i said that's incredible and everyone else in this theater is going what's wrong with your face everyone i talked to about it said that's the most off-putting weird thing i've ever seen why does she have big googly anime eyes and i was like because they finally did a manga adaptation and gave the character the actual eyes of a manga character 
but they didn't do that for anyone else. So that's what that confused me, but I didn't care. I, I immediately knew that this film was going to take risks and be flashy and be bold and be daring. And, and the title's Alita Battle Angel. It had everything and nothing going for it. Like it just balls to the wall. We're making our own thing and no one, no one's going to want this, but she's going to be the hero we deserve. We need not the, but the, hmm, I always forget how that goes. Uh, anyway. Yeah, the hero, uh, not the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, not the hero. She's not the hero we deserve, but the one we need right now, as opposed to Captain Marvel. No, I'm just kidding. Captain Absolutely. Well, um, yeah, continuing in the theme of female heroines in live action animation hybrid films. Uh, and Alita Battle Angel, like for me is just, it, it was initially, uh, just uh, the next in a continuation of a long line of sort of failed attempts to adapt Japanese manga or anime, uh, oftentimes casting Caucasian actors in roles that would have probably been better suited for uh, Asian actors, you know, whether or not these characters are supposed to necessarily be citizens of Japan or, or some kind of Asian country like a lot of times it's ambiguous in some of these stories but you know he had the Dragon Ball movie uh, at the last airbender of course the most notorious failed attempt <laughs> at adapting an anime style uh, TV series. failed attempt at attempting anything <laughs> well I mean it was like it a real movie technically and you know had big that's behind it. But I also once yeah. saw a famous YouTuber stuntman jump to a building and fall and die. <laughs> so that's probably a, a greater failed attempt than The Last Airbender. It was really sad, actually. Now I'm, now I'm, I, I'm talking about an adaptation, though. Adaptation of uh, Japanese or, or similar style uh, source material. But with uh and then we had that scarlett johansson movie which i didn't see um what what is that i mean either no interest ghost in the stalls i mean <laughs> ghost in the shell <laughs> yes uh and this sort of gave me flashes of that when i saw the trailer for the first time it's like but what are we doing why not oh. just cast an asian we've got plenty of asian actresses who need a, in need of work uh <laughs> uh yeah and i just and i assumed right off the bat that alita battle angel was one of the, well i didn't know it was a comic book adaptation first of all then i found that out and then i and then i figured well depending on the context of the anime it probably doesn't even matter and they gave her an anime face mm -hmm. digitally anyway so um it, but it yeah. looks like anime. i mean this whole environment set in what 2563 apparently uh, the Great War has left Earth devastated, uh, and the it's a few uh, years after humanity's victory over the Covenant in the Halo series, which takes place in twenty five fifty two. So Master Chief and Alita might know each other. Interesting. Yeah, the events of this movie take place three hundred years after the Earth was decimated, or you know, nearly wiped out by this uh, catastrophic inter interplanetary war known as the Fall. Uh, or the Great War. Uh, one interesting bit of trivia that um, I just discovered, you know, in, in the movie, the bar that they visit is referred to as Kansas. Yes. Um, I just noticed that on my second viewing. <laughs> I thought that was fun. Which is a nod to how in the comics, uh, this city, um, Z Zalem, uh, and uh, which is sort of over um spanning over the sort of dregs of uh the remnant of of an earth city the lowest for those who haven't seen the movie there's a giant disc hovering in the air kind of looks like if you've seen district nine sort of looks like the alien spacecraft it's just hovering over a and there's a city on this disc that's floating and then below it is a dilapidated city uh of a kind of a, a slummy city, um, mm -hmm. which actually my first time viewing, I was, I was so totally confused because, you know, here's I, the iron angels. city, right? Yeah. Called iron city. That's right. Yeah. Zalem is this, you know, angel city that's supposed to be all ritzy and glamorous. And then iron city is a threatening, scary place, but it actually looked really warm and inviting the opening shots establishing iron city are uh, there's happy people walking down 
brightly lit streets, very warm tones, kids are playing and yeah, uh, it's, it's not terrible. No. And there's like street musicians. It actually reminded me a lot of the Wakanda scenes from uh, Black Panther, but I, that's yeah. Anyway, uh, but it is a scary place at night. Don't go out at night alone. Yeah. Zalem, of course, is basically Elysium from that Matt Damon movie, which I did not see. I did not either. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that, yeah, that was directed by the District 9 guy. Um, I don't know if you can remember. His oh, um, no. Anyway. Oh, All I remember Neil, is Neil Blomkamp. Oh, that's right. All I remember about District 9 is effing prawns. <laughs> yeah, I also they saw I did see Chappie. I, I caught up on that one. It was interesting, but very <laughs> um, pseudo scientific, shall we say? Really? OK, yeah, that one, like the trailers just made me feel gross when I watched it. I was like, <laughs> it, hey. it incorporates the same logic that the Inspector Gadget movie does, where he's able to function without, you know, the, the chip that they give him that contains his, you know, soul. Essentially, it's like, no, his soul is just in the uh, <laughs> in this shell of a body that he has. Whoa, he, he doesn't need the master chip. He doesn't need it. He has transcended. He has transcended. And Chappie, as, as does Chappie in the movie Chappie. Um, but like in this movie, it deals with similar subjects, artificial intelligence, cyborgs, this Iron City, as, as well as Zalem, I'm guessing also, you know, populated significantly by characters uh, who, are, who are just called cyborgs. I think there's like a derogatory term they use skinwalkers or and neither of us can remember <laughs> what it is uh, no it's been yeah. like junkers clankers uh, um, <laughs> uh yeah scrappy boys scrappy scruffy boys <laughs> something like that i know there is a term for humans they call them meat bags i was able to find that on tv tropes under the fantastic racism tab but uh <laughs> meat bags otherwise. meat bags yes or, or was it meat, uh, meat bags? You said meat boys. You said yeah. meat boys the first time, but now you're saying meat bags. And meat bags sounds like more general, more kind of unisexual, sort of encompassing everybody. Meat boys was very specific. Well, meat boys is like the video game, Super Meat Boy. But it yeah, is... Meat uh, bags is like a reference to Jamie Lannister saying human beings are nothing more than a sacks of blood and bones and... No, blood and guts and bones to hold it all together. Well, that's a very Nietzschean way of looking at it. But uh, oh, he's Jamie's a pretty niche guy. He's seen some <laughs> some stuff. <laughs> yeah. uh, after you watch Game of Thrones, it's pretty much how you uh, you look at everything. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> which much much to my uh, enlightenment, uh, Meat Boys, yeah, is is what they use in in the film. Uh, and yeah, so there there is some animosity, of course, as there would be between these sort of diverse uh groups of people i don't know um and you really wouldn't think there would be though because in our in our day in our modern day if a guy or a gal loses an arm and gets a prosthetic arm we love it we're so happy for them we're like <laughs> yeah science yeah technology and medicine but here well we're reaching an age where people might voluntarily uh surrender their human i when i say when i put it that way i'm seeming very antagonistic towards this whole cybernetic notion but um like if someone were to voluntarily you know receive cyber cybernetic augmentation uh that might be looked down upon in some yeah, see, they they finally legalized the the selling of kidneys, and this is the slippery slope. This movie shows the slippery slope of what happens when we allow people to start selling kidneys. It just it does not end. There. <laughs> I mean, this goes way beyond and selling and trading of. It goes of way beyond simple implants. organ transplants. I mean, yeah. it includes you know you're augmenting your uh, neurology through the use of like um bio hardware you know chips basically uh, computer chips um and other you know super strong limbs uh, you know the, these characters a lot of them uh 
they come in the form of these bounty hunters known as hunter warriors. Um, and in fact, um, hunter warriors are just a totally legal, uh, essentially occupation that some of the characters in this, you know, universe, uh, have in which they couldn't decide which one they wanted to be. <laughs> so they just put it together. Hunter warriors. Hunter. And, and they also well, just don't, the term are, bounty hunters. Why they're not called bounty hunter. Yeah. We're bounty hunter, hunter warriors. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love it. Um, I don't know. They, they wanted a fancy name, I guess. Um, but yeah, used to hunt down rogue cyborgs usually who are who are quite hard to kill so if you manage to kill one uh you can get rewarded uh generously does it bother you that the that alita's race is called berserkers N that, that no that bothered me okay because when i hear berserker i think like big bulky class in Skyrim or, or D and D or something like a barbarian with an ax or, you know, just big bulky stuff. Whereas the berserkers in this universe are slender, small, lithe, uh, obviously incredibly strong, but like, you know, diminutive, uh, elf warriors. Um, so berserker felt clunk. I, I, but I, this is probably faithful to the manga. So I'm glad they stuck with it. But I, at first I was really just hoping, that they were called battle angels. There's something really kind of sick about okay. that. Okay, it's it's just sort of a class of of this body suit essentially. Because Alita is technically human. Uh, she has a fully human brain, as is established early on in the film. The movie opens with uh, Christoph Waltz as Professor Edo. He's rummaging through a scrap pile. Uh, underneath this giant floating Independence Day style disc, uh, you know, the, the city of Zalem that is pouring all of its rubbish down into Iron City. And uh, amongst the junk pile, he finds this fully intact um, head and uh, damaged torso for uh, Alita, you know, what, what the character who had become Alita. And then, you know, because he is a... Uh, Oh, is is there a term for it? The the he fixes cybernetic. You know, he's a cybernetic. He's a he's a, mecha he's a mechanical a mechanic doctor. Yeah. Um, he he yeah he knows his way well, and he used to be, of course, uh, he work on the on the pit crews for the rollerball or murder ball, the brick ball teams. Yeah. Uh, and but anyway, yeah, people come into his office uh, to get their prosthetics repaired or. Um, or even or made or what have you, uh, and you were and then yeah, continue on with you were describing the the opening of the film. Yeah, uh, that's that's when we're introduced to Alita because he restores her to functionality, and he happens to have like a a body that fits her uh, her head, and you know we find out later that the body, you know, full spoilers for Alita, of course. Um, was going to be uh, used for his daughter, uh, who unfortunately died. Um, and so, yeah, Alita, her, she's a berserker originally, but then gets transplanted onto this uh, this new body that was designed for just a regular human. Uh, and then um, later in the film, you know, discovers a, a berserker body that's been abandoned, and we. You know the the body can transform and change size. You know just to suit the wearer. So yeah, uh, that was so cool. The nanotechnology and the armor, how it can literally just increase and decrease mass, but maintain density uh, by nano machines. Yeah, it's super. It's a really cool example of nanotech. Um, what? And it had such a satisfying video game arc this movie did where you have your epic, you know, your robot body and you're going along fighting bad guys and fighting boss battles. But then you finally fight that one mid-game boss battle that totally decimates you. And then it's like, all right, now it's upgrade time. And then you get the armor that's on the cover of the game and you feel like an unstoppable badass. Uh, um I'll, uh, well, it's like it's like getting the new lightsabers in Jedi Academy, or I can mm -hmm. wow, well, millions of games do this, but I can't yeah, think of any yeah. of them off the top of 
I mean, it's a standard uh, progression of uh, just increasingly more stylish and uh, powerful uh, attributes for your characters. Uh, accoutrement. And uh, mm. yeah, she she goes from that. She's still pretty powerful in the what, what they refer to as the doll body. Um, but what the developers refer to as the doll body. It's never called <laughs> that in the film. Yeah, that was one yeah. thing I always wondered. You know, must just I, I think what it did for me was just uh, identify Ido's level of skill was that the body that he custom built for his daughter was not only, you know, good enough to a- enable her who was paralyzed to fully function, but like he made it super strong mm-hmm. uh, and durable because Elita is able to use all of her instincts and knowledge and skills in fighting with this doll body and it holds up remarkably well against other uh you know vicious and metal Mm -hmm. vicious cyborg forces Mm -hmm. yeah there are several um you know other cyborg characters within the that play a large role within the film um a lot a lot of these cyborgs of course have just fully robotic bodies the only remaining yeah aspect of their humanity is their or you know their at least human physiology is their face um yeah motorball is what with the sport rollerball (laughs) um but uh, roller derby roller derby but yes the some of some people of course just have minor augmentations like um vector played by marshall ali um he's, he's just got some minor things with his like eyeball that allows him to be uh what is it hijacked by uh, some people on Zalem Nova? I guess Zalem is really uh, particular about keeping their world separate from from the lower world. And that's quite the uh, yeah. No one, no one can go to Zalem. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. People try, and people think that they can get the connections, and they're promised that they can go to Zalem. Mahershala Ali has a great line where he finally admits that he'd rather be a ruler in hell than a servant in heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, so he doesn't even necessarily want to go to Zalem because he's the head honcho of Iron City. Always a great uh, quote <laughs> whenever it's invoked. Um, yeah, yes. That's, it, that's when you know you're dealing with a, with a good bad guy when they mm-hmm. relish their uh, authority in such manner. Good, good metaphor for apartheid. Uh, speaking of district nine and so forth um did, did i say this this movie um you know the the kansas bar was a reference to this being set in the manga in kansas city missouri you um, did not get that far yeah but i was assuming that's what you meant okay yeah wow cool um and then kansas like, city the survivor <laughs> of the fall yeah um and then with the whole apartheid like uh neil blomkamp district nine thing um this is of course uh, being a film by robert rodriguez this is also uh, robert rodriguez's first pg-13 film um in has his... he only done r films or g films or r or pg uh in his oh. previous 18 feature films so this is that's new territory mm-hmm. wow um, and and yeah ended up being a very capable uh, storyteller in presenting this just very comprehensive, fantastical world. Uh, and it, it does feel like a James Cameron movie. I mean, his movies feel just very complete, very, you know, you're talking about video game progression, like they divide nicely into multiple acts and each act feels kind of like its own self-contained story um, that, that just flows very nicely into the next one. It's like it's, it always leaves you uh, craving more and then, you know, ultimately resolves itself quite nicely at, at the end of what is usually a, a fairly long, uh, in terms of runtime, experience. Uh, this movie's, it's got to be close to two and a half hours. Um, it's about, uh, what is it? Runtime two hours and two minutes. Okay, but it definitely made the most of it. I never felt like it feels full, 
very yeah. fall. And it's funny you mentioned that, that it, you know, great flow from one act to another. My first time viewing, I leaned over to my friend and at one point and said, what act are we in? Uh, kind of facetiously because mm-hmm. it was towards the end of the movie and just like clear beats and units just kept happening and concluding and moving on from there. I was like, so, you know, that typical third act structure seemed to just be, I don't know. I was like, this movie could have ended a half hour ago or it's like, it's still going. You know, the kid, the kid is alive and now he's dead. Now he's got a body. Now he's dead again. Now she's, now she's in the motorball again. It's like, she like thing it kept. Um, and then, and at first, so I just thought it was, well, I could say my, my whole first time viewing the film, actually, I, I did think it was kind of a mess, uh, and really superficial and, I, I had no expectations going in. I really wanted it to be great, but I thought it was just kind of a random, schlocky, boring waste of time. I had a hard time relating to any of the characters or getting involved and getting invested. And I was just kind of like joking at it in my head while while watching it. Well, for one thing, because just, yeah, like, oh, Iron City, what a dangerous place. Everyone's having fun and playing drums on the street. And it's a, you know, sure, there's some bad guys at night and, you know, whatever, but but old man with giant hammer can handle them just fine. And it's like just typical dystopian world. And, you know, I've seen this all before and it's like, why is all this fancy technology? That's there's a, there's a ship crashed. Well, they say iron city is like, uh, it's the only place or like they made it sound like the world outside of iron city and Zalem was this wasteland, but then they go outside the city and they're wandering through lush forests and there's a lake with a crashed ship in it full of technology that no one had scrapped yet. And it's just, things weren't making sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, it's kind of creepy vibes when Alita, I mean, Alita wakes up with no memory. And instead of just being frantic and wondering like, where am I, who am I? She's immediately just calm and peaceful and like allows Ido, Ido to treat her like a dad right off the bat. And I don't know, did you get any creepy vibes from this? But like when he named her after his daughter and you know mm. started immediately treating her like like he was her father did that like, uh weird you not, out at all or no not really i mean i i liked how she was just sort of a, a naive blank slate at the beginning of her arc uh and yeah she hadn't been um you know contaminated by fear and uh, uh you know any anything that would lead her to be um you know more skeptical of people's motives yeah. Just like yeah. instead of starting in mm-hmm. fear and and like uh, fr- frantic and panicked, you know, childlike, she wakes mm-hmm. up and she's just ready to ready to learn, basically. Well, something amazing happened my second time doing this film. Something mm-hmm. truly extraordinarily amazing happened. And I'll, I'll tell you what it is. It's mm-hmm. so the, uh, the film opens with Ido looking through the rubbish piles and it establishes that there's this city and the massive landfills and that they the the city above pours its trash onto the city below. And that's where he finds this head. Uh, And then it transitions to her waking up in bed. Mm -hmm. My second time viewing the film, I was late. And right when I walked in and saw the screen, Alita shot up in bed and looked Mm -hmm. at her arm. And I thought, my goodness, that is such a good beginning to this film. Uh, we start our journey at exactly the same moment Alita does, and we have no context outside that. So all we know is what all she knows, which is that she's in bed, she's in a room, she's looking at her hands, it's a robot hand. And so me as the audience, I'm going, wow, who am I? Who is she? Where am I? Where? And then she goes downstairs. And then there's a guy getting his robot arm fixed by this guy named, we find out his name is Ito, and then he starts treating her. It was just, it was such a better opening. Mm-hmm. It was incredible. I was, I was, su- yeah. I was from that moment. I was in, in swept away. Uh, I loved, yeah. I loved starting the journey with her. That was really cool. Yeah, in, I mean, so in I the think op- they should, yeah, do an edit. <laughs> um, I know. And if we didn't mention Ido, is played by Christoph Waltz. Uh, Alita is played by Rosa Salazar. Um, and uh, that, yeah, and that opening tag of him finding basically her head and the surviving brain um he does like it was unnecessary he refers to her as angel he's like what you know uh just who are you or um 
<laughs> I can't remember exactly what he said, but um, something weird. Like, uh, yeah. Let's, uh, you know, time to wake up, little angel, something like that. Yeah, something. You find a head in a pile of junk and say, time to wake up, little angel. It's just, I think I, I remember laughing when the first time I saw this movie. I was like, oh, great. This is the kind of movie we're in for. Um, mm -hmm. But because, yeah, yeah, like she, because she walks downstairs and then she sees him and then starts asking him questions and he starts answering him and answering them. And I'm like, that's great. What a great way to introduce us into this kind of fish out of water narrative. Um, anyway, so that, that was just interesting how having a different opening completely changed my immersion with the film and uh, really have grown to love it. I think audiences have also just, they were super off put. I mean, everyone I talked to said, okay, I don't know about this movie. I don't like her face. Um, but people have gone and then enjoyed the film. She's a very strong character. You can probably go on about and attest to this. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of people really love her performance, find that she's really engaging. She has a great arc. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, and then there's a very uh -huh. shallow, but very interesting love story in the yeah. film that addresses themes of like human AI relations. Okay, see, and then you were, yeah, you just mentioned and solidified this for me. Uh, you said she was totally human. And the whole time I was wondering what she was. Because obviously she doesn't look like a human. She's got these big eyes. So I was like, what is she? Is she fully android? Is she fully whatever? Well, okay, no. Ido, Ido says you have a very human brain. Does that mean it is a human brain? Or is it an AI human-esque oh, brain? I, it's, um, I guess I'm... It is interesting, though. Yeah, this... She's from the United Republic of Mars. Uh, that's the uh, association that produces these. She serves in their military. Uh, berserkers, yeah, for yeah military service. Uh, and, uh, and were they created specifically for that, or are, were they just citizens? That I, is, I don't really yeah, know. that's a very interesting question. I mean, perhaps in this future society, people are sort of produced um, you know, Plato's Republic style for very specific roles within uh, you know their society and oh that's funny that's brave new world too yeah exactly people like people are created bred for purposes mm -hmm. and so she was immediately transplanted um of course she is she has the brain or the mind of a teenage girl approximately 14 years old for I don't i'm know, really yeah, how, what advantage that provides to her being this... Yeah, I'm curious. The United Republic of Mars that decimated Earth's forces was an army of robot teenage girls. It's like, well, yeah, teenage girls are scary. I don't want to mess with that. Uh, Edo even has a funny line. He's like, you have a perfectly healthy, normal teenage brain, if there is such a thing. She's um, trained in this specialized uh, fighting style, martial arts style called Panzer Kunst. A word I'm never comfortable saying out loud. Well, uh, just got to give it a really heavy German Kunst. accent. Or Kunst. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Hans or Kunst. Yeah. Kunst uh, yeah, I was just reading it uh, phonetically. So <laughs> some of the stuff I don't remember. I did see the movie twice, but it's been a little while. Um, and then I, I guess, yeah, this, this specialized technique is very, you know, what, uh, what's the word zen uh, like kind of eastern you know using uh, a lot of like crazy you know manipulation of chi or whatever chi blocking <laughs> tiley acrobatics it's also very metal gear solid cqc just the the most legendary fighting style mm -hmm. taught by the boss yeah uh, she's able to like crush these other cyborgs heads just with seemingly little effort um, yeah, she uses. Oh she well, does, and, uh, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, you could, I that that battle with Druishka at the middle of the the kind of climactic middle when she's at her lowest point. That might be one of the best fight scenes in a film I've seen in a very long time, probably since Kylo Ren and Rey in the Last Jedi, yeah. um, which which now in hindsight that battle is. It's kind of absurd, just the two of them going against all those royal guards. And there's some like obvious flaws in the choreography, if you look really closely. But who cares? It's still a great moment. Um, but yeah, the, the, her fight against Jewishka, I mean, if you want to, 
that's a highlight for you if you wanted to talk about that. Gruishka, yeah. Uh, Gru, is it Gruishka? Gruishka, yeah, G-R-E-W, uh, played by Jackie Earl Haley. See, yeah, the whole time I thought it was Gruishka, so I, every time they said oh. his name, I thought about Spaceballs and uh, a Druish princess. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, well, and Alita dropkicks that one female cyborg, uh, Nisiana, and, uh, like, dents an entire, you know, her head into this door. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, the, the violence of this movie is very ramped up in some some spots. Phenomenal PG thirteen could have been R, but um, yeah, I, I it really was appreciate all blue and green blood. Uh, That's where the the strength of animation comes in. You can get away with a little bit more. And oh my gosh, I didn't realize this until my second viewing. Uh, Zapan slices the dude's friend in half, right? Yep. Yeah, and you can oh get a pretty good look at that, too. That mm -hmm. gave me such a reaction because the 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 main dude, boy, Hugo, white boy, played by Hugo, yeah. Hugo, played by white boy, he was, he was, he, like, punched his friend. And then Zapan showed up and grabbed Hugo. And then the friend that he punched and was having a fight with punched Zapan to get to let Hugo go and then Zapan killed him. It was like such it was so tragic. Mm -hmm. Just a tragedy. <laughs> and in such a brutal fashion. Ooh. Yeah, With yeah. his Damascus blade. The sharpest sword and molecular, which Alita uses to slice a tear in half at the end of the film. Just if that doesn't make you want to stand up and clap, I don't know what does. Yeah. Well did you see Bumblebee? I did. I okay. love Bumblebee. That's the love interest in that memo is the same actor who gets sliced in half in Alita. Uh, <gasps> <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh. It's the same guy? Yeah. That's Jorge, Jorge Lendeborg or George Lendeborg, however he... I wanted him to be the main guy. But again, if the manga chose Boring White Dude as the love interest because it was loyal to the... If the movie chose him because it was loyal to the manga, then great. But I thought his friend was a much more interesting and charismatic persona than Hugo was. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, but then that ended yeah. up, again, on my second viewing. My first time, I was just disappointed with Hugo, disappointed with everything, thought it was superficial. But then on my second viewing, this kid who annoyed me and I thought it was all shallow. It was like, oh, that's the point. Like Alita give, like is so invested in this guy and like gives herself to him fully, but he's just not prepared and ready and wanting to go that far and then gets just completely toasted. And it's like, yeah, that's just how life works. And it's sad, you know? Yeah. So. He's conflicted about his relationship with this, you know, skin suit or whatever they call cyborgs um and this this wetsuit and uh yeah Swimsuit. isn't sure if, if his true loyalties lay with her or with uh his his motives of getting to zalem he thinks he has a way in and of course a very naive notion that you know his uh association with uh, Mahershala Ali is going to get him access to Zalem when when ba basically no one goes to Zalem. We find out at the end the only way to get into Zalem is uh, through <laughs> disassembly, uh, which which happens or, or being mm -hmm. being a champion of the motorball games. Oh yeah, or that. <laughs> so yeah. unless you're just a phenomenal athlete, um, and, and that yeah, that is kind of an interesting element the you know golden ticket notion of <laughs> becoming this champion athlete you think they it wouldn't just be the one motorball champion who'd get access but I, I can't do you remember why that is like do they have motorball in zalem they probably watch it from above yeah they probably watch. it's probably it's just the about. most popular yeah um like they i don't know they have entertainment at the expense of these underlings. Uh, yeah, well, it's like the gladiator <laughs> games. It's like yeah. they the favorite, the people's favorite gladiator, the best gladiator, the one who survived and killed everyone else. He gets the rank. He ascends to godhood. Essentially, Jeez. he is. Um, yeah, and I there's love like no redemption for this massive, like beautiful, you know, Elysian-looking city. 
uh, that is just totally closed off due to its radical apartheid. No, it's policy. It's so it's so bizarre and messed up. And I, I get, I don't even know how they're gonna play that in the sequels or when they finally reveal the city. Is it gonna end up like, like in Avatar when they go to Repub- when they go to uh, Bossing Say and they're like, hey, people of Bossing Say, we need help with the war. And they're like, what war? Shh, there's no war. Like, do they even know that there is an Iron City, the residents of Zalem? Yeah, I'm sure most to- of the people, most of the people are probably pretty oblivious to the outside world. It's, I don't know if they. I, everything's probably kept pretty suppressed, honestly. If they're capable of keeping people out, they're probably also capable of keeping inter- information out. So Yeah, or maybe it's, yeah, maybe up, maybe up ground, there's as much like uh, to dystopian uh, issues as below ground. And maybe people in Zalem are like trying to break the system so that they can get down to the people below. I, uh, there's so many and maybe the manga's probably all explored all of this so i could find the yeah. answers there but um it is int- it's the world is more interesting than i thought at first and i mm. i would love a sequel that would yeah. be really cool that's the big it could question. end up being kind of a watershed series if it if it keeps going this way does it bother you that i'm not completely human you are the most human person I have ever met. Didn't I tell you to be home before dark? I just lost track of time. A leader, you have to be responsible. You are someone very special. Hey, kid. Not just a teenage girl. Hey, what's your problem? You can't remember. What do you mean? Doc found you in the scrapyard. So you must be from up there. And I'm just an insignificant girl. That's what they want you to think. We referred to the, uh, you know, human disassembly that that allows a certain character to get to Zalem. That being the character of Chirin, played by Jennifer Connelly, who actually seems to provide the visual basis for Alita to some degree. I, I don't know if it's just a coincidence, but when I saw Alita, I, I got sort of flashes of uh, Gen- uh, young Jennifer Connelly. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, because Jennifer Connelly is the paradigm quintessential uh, f- female hero of cinema. Um, and she hasn't aged. Well, well like, <laughs> especially um, like a, a starlet who's sort of pre-adult. She really was kind of a singular force in in that way, uh, more so than I think any other young actress uh, of sort of the more recent generation has been. I don't know, maybe Molly Ringwald is a similar dynamic. Um, Who's that? Uh, from Sixteen Candles, Pretty in Pink, uh, the you know the John oh. Hughes actress. Um, yeah. Yeah, from the the eighties into the or the seventies, eighties, and maybe the seventies. I don't. I'm not very familiar with seventies movies, but like the eighties and nineties, yeah, had these really strong, interesting, like young female actresses who like. I I can't think of anyone in a, in the modern era like Jennifer Connelly or who has played similar roles. Can you? I. Um, like you said, Emily Brown. Em- that, Emily, but... Emily Browning, maybe. Um, she was in the Zack Snyder movie. Um, the sucker punch, um, and okay, and <laughs> went from a series of unfortunate events to to that. Like, so she, oh, she that made a name for herself as this doll-faced teenage siren. Um, and yeah, plenty of examples. But but a lot of times, act, actors when they become famous, it's after they're eighteen or. You know, they, they don't necessarily make the, the child transition. Um, well, well, yeah, Jennifer Connelly's character, she's, uh, she's trying to get to Zalem. She's from Zalem uh, originally, uh, as is Edo. Uh, but for some reason, because they're, and they were a couple um, and then now are separated because their daughter died. Um, and it was something to do with her, their daughter's illness that or, or her condition that resulted in them being sent to earth and this was confusing for me um that, that just seemed a little uh draconian 
for them yeah. to. <laughs> Ido, Ido, uh, if Ido had explained a bit more about Zalem and the politics and what, well, because that's yeah, you have you have these characters who were there, mm-hmm. and you never learn anything about what the city is actually like. That was kind of a source of disappointment, I guess. They they maybe um, have this just crazy eugenics policy that states that you know if there's something defective with a, a human child that it, is just immediately put to death uh, the they get kicked into the pit of death with their parents <laughs> uh so yeah if like the parents refuse to you know give up their child for this this eugenics policy um they, they would be sent down to iron city um, so clearly wow, made the right choice, but uh, resulted in them losing their station. Um, so yeah, we're kind of coming Good up stuff. with a lot of fanfic here to fill in some of the holes. But uh, it, it are we fanfic? Uh, you know the whole why Ido and Shirin. Oh, why to leave Zalem? Yeah, beyond just oh, this is an evil society that you know you're child becomes a paraplegic she has you know <laughs> yeah i'm curious i'm curious about the fleshing out of zalem and a sequel could fail to flesh out zalem and it is just a dis a district one or a, the capital type city where for whatever reason it's just shiny and bright but the whole war between the united republic of mars and the floating cities of earth and why that one is the one that's alive and how it beat the United Republic of Mars, which has an army of berserkers who are unstoppable, you know, and why, why did the United Republic of Mars with flying ships have a task force ascending to the city from below, from the pipes leading up to the city? Why didn't they just orbital drop shock troop the heck out of so yeah, like I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about the development of this world because if they develop it well, it'll be a really interesting, uh, really deep place. If they don't, it's just like, well, this is another sci-fi dystopian story that doesn't make really any sense, and who cares? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure this uh, United Republic of Mars society has its own faults that'd be interesting to explore as well. I mean, they're they're using yeah. cyborgs as weapons and. You know, they, they have human brains. It just doesn't seem very ethical, but it'd, it'd be interesting to explore a lot of the ethics of these um, technologies in this, you know, world that's far beyond, you know, what what we've come to uh, even bother imagining in, in our society. I mean, it's just, but it's, we're getting closer to this sort of uh, dystopian or, you know, Black Mirror-esque need to evaluate, you know, what our priorities are in, in the realm of technological in- innovation. Well, yeah, the rapid, the rapid technological, ex- <laughs> oh my gosh, rapid technological innovation, it kind of forces us to, to introspect and mm-hmm. we'll yeah. look at what we want and where are we going? And it, it's uh, growing at an exponential rate, seemingly, at least parts of it. Uh, oh yeah, I mean, from microwaves to black and white TVs to holy cow, everyone has a computer in the palm of their hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gene mapping, um, you know, neural networks. Uh, yeah, neural interface. Alita is dropped into this world, and through her eyes, you are experiencing everything for the first time. <laughs> I knew when I did Avatar with Weta that Alita would not only be possible, that as a character, she would be spectacular. Hi. When we were making Avatar, I would tell people we don't need to be photo real because you can't tell me what real is on Pandora. We only needed to be photographic. For Alita, we're on Earth. Alita needs to be photo real so that she can stand right next to Christoph Waltz and look together of one in the frame. Alita is probably the most ambitious digital character that we have created. Every pull, every indent, every scar, every crease, things I wish they didn't put in are there. It's like looking at me because every little nuance of my face is there. Touch him again 
and I will kill you. It's amazing seeing Rose's spirit, her light, come through the Alita character. My hope is that when people are watching this, they sort of forget that she's a CG character. I'm a warrior, aren't I? And you know, you've always known. I think we've been able to create a seamless blend of live action and synthetic action in one single frame. That was pretty intense, huh? The ultimate determinant in whether this film gets a sequel has uh, recently undergone a bit of, uh, yeah, of course, much anticipated turbulence with, um, of course, what just happened recently, Dawson. What happened recently? Uh, on, on the studio side of things. Oh, the merger. Acquisition, technically. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's, it's not a merger. It's a takeover. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, they can be used interchangeably. The lines are blue. No. Yeah. No, yeah. It's, yeah, Disney, Disney bought Fox. Like a long time ago. Is there news? Is there news in that? I mean, obviously, I know mm -hmm. that to make sure these things are legal because, yeah. you know, if... I mean, Teddy Roosevelt's going to have to come back from the dead and bust the Disney trust if things don't, you know, pan out legally. So what's the... Well, it's, you know... It is finalized. All the assets that were included in the sale of twenty uh, first century Fox Corporation from Rupert Murdoch to the Walt Disney Company have now been uh, fully uh, absorbed into the Walt Disney Company. So, so Bob Iger's got his infinity gauntlet, added another stone to it, and now mm -hmm. he's saying, Jeff Bezos, you're next. Yeah. I will have Amazon, and I will have reality in the palm of my hand. That's, a, that's not a bad impression. Um, the Yeah, so everything that was contained within you know the, the, the Fox movie studios is now owned by Disney, but they are keeping a lot of these things intact. Uh, they did dissolve at least one studio owned by Fox, Ooh. Fox 2000 Pictures, but I think so far that's the only entity that's no longer with us. Um, at least uh, right, I, I don't know who you were or what you made, but yeah, Fox 2000, they made a few things that you know, I can't really think of any offhand right now. Um, they oh love simon apparently it's a recent one um they of course uh fox owns blue sky animation there's also fox animation um which i i think fox animation would include things like simpsons uh, family guy like this mm -hmm. the seth MacFarlane yeah. series i'm not totally sure uh, Blue Sky Entertainment, of course, the uh, Ice Age films and, you know, the myriad others. I think All did. the Ice Age movies are Disney movies yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Fox Animation, of course, like... that that would cover things like the Don Bluth movies that were made at Fox. Um, Anastasia. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. Anastasia is a Disney princess. And, uh, and Titan A.E., I think, uh, was Titan also with Fox. Uh, Odette from The Swan Princess. That wasn't fun. That was no. That wasn't brothers. even Don. Wolf. yeah, that wasn't even Don Bluth. That was wow. Crazy. I'm so dumb. I, why do I always lump them together? That's I always do. It, it was a genuine attempt by Warner Brothers Animation to you know to go up against Disney and you know to utilize the classic Disney strategy. Speaking of 20th Century Fox, I know that they sometimes use the the name 21st Century Fox, which I think is just a more comprehensive um, umbrella over some of the other studio assets, like 20th Century Fox, which I, I think is just sort of the dist film distribution wing um, and, and main like production studio behind a lot of the live action films, such as Alita. Uh, and so if uh, James Cameron, wants desperately enough to get a sequel because he wrote the screenplay to Alita. Um, this this really yeah. was a close project to him, but he's kind of busy with all the Avatar films and, you know, he's sort in of... In his spare a, time was writing Alita. He's a sous chef who's in charge of all these little... Uh, are all these main courses um, that are about to be sent out to the uh, the patrons of, of his 
Lightstorm Entertainment restaurant. And um, he's also allowed other chefs to kind of come in and set up their own little workstations. You know, he's got room for for other talent to come in and try their thing and let let the audience sample here and there. And then, of course, he'll come in to, to these other stations and sprinkle in, you know, a few uh, ingredients here and there, some spices. Did James... Did James Cameron want to direct Aliens or was that something a studio just made him do? I, I just watched Alien for the first time yesterday while doing laundry and then which was Ridley Scott. And then I'm assuming Ridley Scott was like, no, don't give, don't make a sequel for this. This is this, this can't have a sequel. But then they were yeah. like, no, it was so popular. It has to we'll have James do it. Was James like, OK, or was he like passionate? Yeah, that was studio driven. That was James Cameron still establishing himself as a visionary. Uh, but it enabled him to ultimately have a lot of creative autonomy in future projects. Uh, you know, he would go on to, uh, with uh, one of his creative partners who, uh, who was a Gail Ann Hurd, I believe. Uh, they founded Lightstorm or, or some other company at the time. Um, now it's, they, they might still be um, partner, creative partners, I'm not sure. James Cameron's been married like five times or something crazy oh like that. So, so yeah, <laughs> at several points throughout his career, like he's been married to his uh, producing partners. Uh, but oh know. gosh, let's just make this illegal and not you know more or take it to the next step. Oh wow, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, uh, that's total neither here nor there. But um, it, there's just been a lot of he's had a long and storied career of just very. Uh, successful creative development and a lot of just crazy uh adventures along the way shall we say and uh he, he wanted to do alita battle angel i'm not sure what about the source material you know he found particularly uh, maybe just a really big fan like i think it's been around a long time probably maybe inspired him when he was younger yeah i mean it's a great premise yeah. I was I was surprised when I saw, you know, that James Cameron had something to do with it. I assumed that they were using his name the same way Steven Spielberg so often get does where he'd just slap on producer credit to Spielberg and then the movie ends up being crappy. But this one was he was really, really, I mean, crucial to. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And I, I hope that means that he's interested in developing the franchise further. Um, if Disney allows it. Uh, and yeah, it, it really a lot weighs on the success of these future Avatar films. Um, I think James Cameron's also involved in the next Terminator installment. There's more? Yeah, they're, they're bringing back Linda Hamilton to uh, participate in... Are they just scrapping... Genesis and picking up or are they just are yeah. they, they going to do a soft reboot? Yeah, I think it's essentially taking the canon of the first two films and uh, building off of that. Okay. I, I don't I don't Good think they're that. necessarily going to acknowledge because yeah, the first two films were directed by James Cameron. Um, and then uh, let me let me just quick check uh, where is, yeah, I guess uh, it's listed here as Terminator Dark Fate, on which James Cameron's a producer. Terminator uh, Dark Fate. Yeah, uh, Gail Ann Hurd, by the way, uh, was a producer on the Terminator Aliens and the Abyss and, and was married to James Cameron from, uh, well, during the 80s. Um, Cameron would also mm -hmm. go on to be married to Catherine Bigelow as well as Linda Hamilton. You know, neither marriage has survived. Uh, but uh, Gail Ann Hurd um, had her own production company, Pacific Western Productions. Uh, and then after that, James Cameron would form his own production company, uh, Lightstorm. Um, so, yeah, so uh, long storied journey. Uh, that James Cameron took from a tale of love yeah, and career from being this. Yeah. I mean, he was always such a, a visionary storyteller. Um, but now 
like he's the ultimate example of a creative uh, leader who has sort of full reign over everything he does. Uh, yeah. And uh, really bet on himself uh, and one big. So we'll see if that continues. So. Congrats. Yeah, we'll yeah. see. Avatar 2 is going to sell gangbusters and then the sequels might collapse because. Yeah. <laughs> well, there are, I think, four sequels that are in development. And that's <laughs> an insane. That's so much blue people. Mm -hmm. Way too much blue people. Hopefully, well, at least one of those will be replaced by uh, an Alita's uh, an Alita sequel on the slate. Yeah, let's do it. Or maybe they'll he'll start his own sci-fi cinematic universe. Maybe they take place in the same. Maybe that, I mean that would be no. You can't mend. Not, not it's a manga adaptation. This... They're not gonna throw that in with Avatar. But... Well, yeah, I was just thinking in terms of Avatar how. It's a very ecologically focused sci-fi franchise, uh, largely contained on this one planet. It's like how much further could you expand it into like a, you know. That's the thing with the first, the first Avatar is like, you can't, there's nothing you can do with this world and with this story and with these characters, mm -hmm. nothing at all. But all right, we'll, we'll see what you do. Yeah, this IMDb filmography, um, under under his writer tab, lists. Avatar 2, 2019. Avatar, no, no, sorry. Avatar 2, 2020. Avatar 3, 2021. Avatar 4, 2024. And Avatar 5, 2025. So. All righty. Yeah. Buckle up. Let's uh, make those big Disney bucks. Make the mouse happy. Hey, <laughs> feed the mouse. Feed the mouse. They've also got the theme park attractions that they need to worry about too. So. Oh boy! Jai, <laughs> I have not. I have yet to experience. Yeah, Mists of Pandora. No, that's the World of Warcraft expansion. The, uh, yeah, the World Pandora of Pandora. In World of Pandora. I believe. Yeah. Uh, well, nice to see that there's some newfound synergy there with the acquisition of 20th Century Fox. Um, all right. Well, that probably is enough for now on Alita, Battle Angel. Yeah. Any A fine flick thing you want to sign off with? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, go check it out. Enjoy yourself some motorball. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, a great outing by Robert Rodriguez. And hopefully we'll get to see more. Um, if not, then uh, this will probably go down as a uh, underrated uh, cult classic. Yeah. Out of all the properties that Disney could probably develop further, um, this is near the top of my list, though not nearly quite as emphatic for me as uh, a Tron sequel. Mm, interesting. Um, well, I, I think on that note, it is. It's. It was really nice to see this. Uh, you know, out of nowhere. It's not a sequel. It's not. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it is an adaptation of something, but of a of a manga, but a, a successful one, I would say, which is rare. Um, so yeah, it's not, it's not an, it's not a new live action Disney remake of an animated Disney property. It's, and, and so the Alita is, is Disney now. How, why is it mm -hmm. Disney now? Is it a 20, 20th century Fox film? Yep. Oh, well, there you go. All right. Disney, uh, Alita battle angel warrior princess. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's do uh, it. let's do it again. All right. Sweet. Well, this has been the Thodcast Conversations about Animation, our review of Alita Battle Angel. You can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and iTunes. Uh, visit us at thodcast.com. That's T-H-A-W-E-D. Uh, give us a review on iTunes if you, uh, if you like us. Uh, I noticed I, I made a recent appearance on a podcast I helped 
co-produced called Disney Coast to Coast uh, just recently. Uh, go check it out. The most recent uh, episode over there on uh, Elaine of Avalor and um, Sophia the First, I believe, is the topic. Watch you epically fail at trivia. No, I, I got it right. Oh, you did? Yeah. What? Yeah. Um, the question was about one of the stages at Disney California Adventure and a Jim Henson property that was located there for a while and in what you know series basically got its own stage version. Um, and I was sort of mulling it over. You can hear in the recording. Um, like the first thing that came to mind was Muppet Babies, but no, that, that never appeared in the parks. Uh, and then I remembered sort of a somewhat lesser known show, A Bear in the Big Blue House, that was developed by the Henson Company. Um, oh, see, I, I thought you had answered Muppet Babies and then got it wrong, and then you went on to talking about Brand Blue House, but you actually guessed no, that. No, I was just, that's, oh, wow. Yeah, that's I was thinking cool. out loud. It sounds like I'm reading off the name of Bear in the Big Blue House as if I'm like Googling it as I'm answering the question. So that's just, <laughs> just how much of a computer in your head you have. Yeah, know that I, it was totally not cheating. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, it went well. But like the quality of my audio on that recording is just totally abysmal. And compared to like what should be the I proper standard, <laughs> I mean, it, it's listenable, but I still have a long ways to go in developing some audio fidelity. Um, well, yeah. we're recording in a little, you know, former hotel right off of Franklin Avenue in Such Hollywood. And we yeah. don't have real studio so if you want to support the thoughtcast on patreon throw some cash so philip can build himself a proper studio yeah, yeah we don't have anywhere near uh, patreon at this point um but yeah if you want to contact us cash by yeah. mail yeah find us on twitter at, your house. at the thought at thoughtcast on twitter t-h-a-w-e-d c-a-s-t i'm philip elke you can find me at philip elke on twitter p-h-i-l-i-p E-H-L-K-E. It's an odd name, oddly spelled name. Um, and, uh, and my Twitter got banned. Uh, I created one months ago and never went on it. After that, I created it solely so that I could enter it into a Shadow of the Colossus art competition, sent virtually no messages, followed virtually no one, and I forgot about Twitter for several months until I said, oh, I want to go back on Twitter to check something, and I couldn't. So... Mm. That's weird. It That's the end of my there. Twitter career. <laughs> All right. um, you should maybe I'll create because unless you were really energy. trolling on that account, uh, no, I, I unless someone hacked it and did something with it, I, that could be. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I never know. went on, and now it's banned. So same thing happened to my RuneScape, though. So. All right. Well, on that terrible disappointment, it's time to end. The podcast. Yeah. Um, thanks so much for listening y'all have a good week